right, all right, day 184. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we pick right up with Isaiah 45, and we're in this section of hope, restoration, and the coming redemption that is that is um, spoken of as this new exodus. Now, remember, the exodus is the central event in the history uh, historiography of the Bible. In the history that takes place in the Bible, the exodus is the central event, right? Remember that. And everything that comes before it and after it is shaped by the exodus and how they tell their story. All right. So the first line is crazy. And it's going to mess with all of our theology. It says this. The Lord says this to Cyrus. Now, remember, we're talking about this new exodus. Listen, the Lord says this to Cyrus, his anointed, we're going to come back to it, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and disarm kings to open doors before him and even city gates will not be shut. What is he saying? Now, this section one, this section is written 140 years before it takes place, which is wild. Right. But um, also what's interesting about this is that Isaiah is going to call Cyrus God's anointed. He's going to call him anointed in verse four now the word he uses here is the hebrew word mashiach mashiach or the word often translated messiah now in the greek translation of the old testament septuagint this word is christos or translated christ so in other words he is saying that cyrus he's calling cyrus here the messiah He's calling Cyrus here the Christ. Now, this is so wild. Why is Isaiah doing this? He's he he what he's doing is this. This king that God is going to you will be will be uh, that God is going to use is going to be God's anointed man to bring about the redemption of God's people. Now, Cyrus is not the literal Messiah. We know that's Jesus, but he's foreshadowing the true Messiah who will bring about the new exodus and this climactic redemption in the last days. The crazy thing is, is that God's sovereign power in this text is seen in the fact that Cyrus doesn't even know, right? The text will say in so many words, no, no, he don't even know that he is this instrument in God's hand to do this, right? So God uses a pagan king to unknowingly carry out his will. Now, if this don't like increase your faith cuz and and we can look back historically in extra biblical literature and see that persia actually delivered babylon like i don't i don't know what will man and it's so amazing because once again um all the bible points to jesus so 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 even cyrus is pointing to jesus in a sense here because uh cyrus here in this text is actually called god's anointed god's messiah even david is called this as well so we we have so much here but um it's amazing because again this act of redemption, the text goes on, this act of redemption that God is going to bring is so uh, marvelous that the idol worshiping nations will be converted. He says they will come and acknowledge that Yahweh is the one true God. And this redemption involves re the, the repentance, in other words, and faith of the other nations. Right. And this is why God continually will contrast what he will do with what they can't do. Right. He alone is the one who created the world, light and darkness inhabited with human 
beings right he alone is the one who established a people for himself he alone is the one who decreed things long ago in every single word he has decreed has come to pass he alone is the righteous god the only he alone is has this irrevocable word I, like you and i could decree something and it fail and not come to fruition but the thing about god's word is that it can't fail it can't it can't come to it can't not come to fruition right it is impossible for it to do so and god is going to reveal man his incomparability and his uniqueness and the incomparable and unique act he has done and will do for his people right uh it's amazing because he's done this for us in saving us and becoming a great king uh by way of covenant over us right and um and at the end what he says is wild he's like yo turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth so again this is not just for israel this is for the ends of the earth for i am god and there is no other by myself i have sworn truth has gone from my mouth a word that will not be revoked i love it here every knee will bow to me every tongue will swear allegiance in the csb <sighs> this text right here isaiah 45 22 to 23 you should go to philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 and write isaiah 45 22 to 23 next to it why because paul picks up this same language he doesn't quote it explicitly but he alludes to it implicitly and he says no no no. this actually applies to jesus this act like the, the every knee will bow and every tongue confessing this applies to jesus christ right and so paul is saying the ultimate fulfillment of this text is what christ did at the cross and in his resurrection and in his uh perfect life on our behalf and uh man all the worship and praise uh in the universe is old him i love it it's so amazing how it all just comes together isaiah 46 comes and the themes continue here the polemic or the argument is against the uselessness and the worthlessness of idols in this section over and opposed to yahweh and it reaches this climax right now why is he doing all this why is god doing all this why is god going in on the idols why is he making all these diss tracks to the idols why because warfare in the ancient near east right in the cultural background of the old testament was intensely religious so warfare was religious in other words for one nation to win victory over another was for that nation's gods to be defeated right and this is why the lord talks about the babylonian gods Baal and nebo they were actually the the gods that babylon worship the quote-unquote gods that babylon worship um the nation that had judah in exile are being mocked here by yahweh and he said fam they themselves the idols will be taken into captivity so so in other words what i do for my people will it will be as if a reversal as it will be as if the idols are now in captivity and not my people they cry out to it talking about the babylonians to their idols but it doesn't answer it saves no one from his trouble in other words he goes in not just about the incomparability of god but the inability of the actual idols themselves right he says they they can't save you right like they not even built like that pun intended <laughs> right they're not built like that right verse 10 he says i declare the end from the beginning i'm different and from long ago what is not yet done saying my plan will take place and i will do all my will all he's saying is this he says i have this worldwide plan and there isn't nothing a being any being bi or b-e-i-n-g uh, among the heavens or the earth can do to stop it right and the redemption of my people is at the center of this worldwide plan right so christian what god is doing in and through the world includes you and there isn't a force there isn't a person there isn't a demon or a devil in heaven or earth that has the power to stop what god is doing in our lives and what he is doing uh in the world through our lives what would it what, like what would 
the world look like if Christians really believe this? That we serve the unstoppable God. Babylon is going to fall. Chapter 47 comes and says, Babylon is going to fall, the greatest empire in their day. And in 47, he gives the reasons poetically, poetically and prophetically why they fail, right? They will be humbled, God says. God is uh, humbling the proud in this text. And this is why he talks about their nakedness being uncovered, them sitting in ashes, them being brought low. And while Zion at the end of the chapter, listen, Zion, Jerusalem, where his people uh, uh, once was, Zion at the end of the chapter is looking forward to salvation. Babylon can do nothing but look forward to destruction. I love it. Salvation. Listen, in the Bible, we tend to think it's just about the the um the God's people being saved, right? Which it is, but it's also about also about the enemy being defeated. This is why when Jesus goes to the cross, and this is a side, sorry, not even in my notes. Um, when Jesus goes to the cross, he defeats Satan, right? He defeats Satan, but at the same time he saves his people. So they go hand in hand, even in Isaiah here at the same time remember that now your wisdom and knowledge led you astray talking about babylon you said to yourself i am and there is no one else the foolishness of man is seen in the futile attempt to elevate themselves to the status of a god there's so much we could say here listen since the beginning of the garden fam man wanted to transcend his nature that's another way of thinking about sin right like human beings want to transcend nature their own nature to the status of God. And that's a problem, right? So this is what he says. He says, he says, um, I'll come back. I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so it's the same thing today, though. A common trope among many people today you'll meet um, uh, uh, amongst a, a variety of worldviews is that we are gods, right? We have, we are gods. We have God-like power. We can tap into this ability. And what God is saying is that the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. This is foolish, right? There's no other God. And notice, this is what I was going to say. Notice in the text, uh, in verses um, 10, in verse 10 of 47, they they use the language he uses um he quotes them as he quotes the babylonians as using language that only yahweh could use right i am and there is no one else he says that all throughout these chapters this language yahweh has been using and he and the, and the babylonians are essentially saying this so this is why i say like no no they're elevating themselves to the status of gods now if if if, if in other words um what's, what's interesting too is that um if if, if babylon listen if y'all really gods fam why can't you af avoid your own downfall, right? <laughs> like, again, the incomparable God will expose the inability of idols with an inevitable result of their downfall, right? There's this inevitable downfall. This is why, listen, like Babylon does not even exist now. <laughs> like the nation of Babylon was literally a nation in the ancient world, but they don't even exist now. This just goes to show you that like God is who he says he is and that he will outlast uh, all of these things we uh man just try to put our hope in and um another interesting point man is that babylon is going to be personified as this idolatrous woman here in this text uh and this is going to be picked up in the book of revelation um as a representative and i've talked about this before but babylon will kind of be a representative uh kind of like stock name for um all oppressive nations and kingdoms and so what we see is that once again that god destroys sinful and oppressive and prideful kingdoms of this world to bring about his kingdom that is not of this world right this is the business god is in he's not just saving his people he's defeating enemies i declared the past events long ago this is chapter 48 
Uh, they came out of my mouth. I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted and they occurred. Verse five. Therefore, I declared to you long ago. I announced it to you before it occurred. So you could not claim my idol caused them. My carved image and cast idol, uh, cast idol control them. What is he saying? God will make a prediction. God makes predictions so that his glory can be aimed in the right direction. Right. He says, I'm going to prophesy the return from exile now so that you will praise me and give me the glory I deserve later. Right. And what he's saying to us is this. We should not give the credit that God deserves, the credit that the creator deserves to anything created. Right. We don't attribute our eternal and supernatural blessings to false idols, but instead to the one true God. And he says this and he he he, he, he continues to um bring up his glory even more. He says, I would delay my anger for the sake of my name. For the sake of my name is another way of saying my reputation, my glory, right? All synonymous terms. And I will restrain myself for your benefit and for my praise. Once again, his glory so that you will not be destroyed. Then he says in verse 11, I will act for my own sake. There it is again. Indeed, my own. For how can I be defiled? I will not give, here it is, my glory to another. The reason that God does what he does. Listen, the ultimate reason, there's penultimate reasons, Right. Um, but the ultimate reason that God does everything he does is for his own glory, right? It's for his own glory. The ultimate and final end for his work of redemption and salvation and his wonderful works in history is so that he may be glorified. It's so that he may be honored. It's so that he may be lifted up and exalted. It's so that he may be seen as the most glorious being in the universe, seen as he is. And we are to imitate God. So in other words, this is what we do. The reason God does what he does is for his glory. So the reason that we do what we do is for his glory, right? We are called to imitate God, right? And he, and he, once again, he goes and categorizes all of these things in this Exodus-like language, right? And at the end of the Exodus, what happens? The glory of the Lord descends, or, or after the Exodus, initially 15, Exodus 15, they sing a song. They praise and worship God. They give him glory. But also his glory descends in Exodus chapter 40. And so you see that the, the, that even the, the goal of the Exodus was the glory of God. And at the end of the day, he even talks about the glory that he does this for, but the peace that we experience as a result. Right. And the power and submission to the power God extends in his work in the world um, and, and establishing his kingdom. There is uh, a submission or or the work that he does in the world through establishing his kingdom. There is this uh, reason that he does it for his glory. But this is there's this experience of peace that his people get. And the task for us today is to proclaim this message in this way that God is wants to be glorified among us. And um, we are to we're called to God is in the business of glorify himself among us. And we're called to uh, join him in this mission and we receive the peace that all of it affords let's pray father we ask for your grace uh, to glorify you today uh, and be witnesses and uh, proclaimers of the message you've entrusted to us give us the power to do it even when we're afraid lord even when we feel weak even when we feel scared even when we feel awkward uh, give us the boldness to do it today so jesus name we pray amen